0: Well, good morning. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we thank you for this chance we have to hear some of the teachings that your son Jesus gave us while he was on this earth. Father, we thank you for the ways that we can be challenged, we can be encouraged, we can be convicted, and we can be reminded of your love for us and all that you provide for us. Meet us now in this time so that we can hear from your word what you want us to hear And that we can respond with worship to you. In your holy name, amen. Well, this morning we are starting a brand new sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. For the next few months, we are going to look at certain parts of the teaching of Jesus that is found in Matthew 5 through 7. Among Jesus' teaching, the Sermon on the Mount is pretty familiar to those inside and outside the church. This sermon from Jesus actually presents many ideas that society admires. Jesus calls for sincerity and integrity in our lives. Jesus warns against materialism, against being judgmental and hypocritical. Jesus promotes peace and reconciliation in this sermon and he challenges the sin of pride and living only for ourselves. Jesus pushes his listeners to think about not just our actions, but our motives as well. This truly is an amazing teaching from Jesus. And if we let it, these words of Jesus given to us in this sermon will challenge us and convict us. Our actions, our motives, and our character will be put to the test if we let it alongside this sermon. Our actions, our motives and our character will be challenged as we compare how we do the things we do with what God calls us to do in this sermon. And here's the thing, none of us in this room, none of us can meet the standard of this teaching of Jesus. No one can look in these chapters in Matthew and think, you know what? I'm okay. Jesus, I got this. This sermon's no problem for me. This sermon not only addresses our outward conduct, but our inner motives as well. And so I believe that this Sermon on the Mount is not only penetrating and convicting, but at times perhaps will be demoralizing for us as we truly examine our lives in front of the teaching of Jesus. So the question we must ask then is, who is this sermon for? Why did Jesus give this sermon recorded in Matthew 5 through 7? Well, in the book of Matthew, we see that after Jesus was baptized, he began teaching about the kingdom of God. In fact, he began saying that the kingdom of God was at hand, that Jesus was inaugurating his kingdom in his words and in his deeds. And now, after announcing this kingdom, Jesus gives a sermon to describe what life and human community looks like in this kingdom that he was bringing about. And here's the thing. Jesus is not just giving us commands to people in order to know how to get into God's kingdom. Nor is Jesus requiring us to do certain things to keep ourselves in the kingdom. This sermon actually describes more than it commands. This sermon describes life in the kingdom rather than just giving us commands on how to get into God's kingdom. And this is very very important for us to understand. If we miss this point, we will be crushed and defeated in the coming weeks as we examine this sermon together. This is such an important point that I want to try to illustrate it this way. Many, many years ago now, I went on one of the best vacations of my life. I got to go with my father-in-law, my my brother and sister-in-law to the Grand Canyon. And we got to hike down there, stay one night in Phantom Ranch, and then we got on a boat with a group of people, and we rafted the Colorado River for five days. It was amazing. We were able to just sleep out under the stars, have amazing food, enjoy that beautiful part of our country. And every time we would hit one of the rapids, there was a group of us on the boat that would say, can we swim one of these rapids? And every time the guide would say, no. And so we kept asking time after time, how about this rapid? Can we swim this rapid? And they would say no. And then we got to the last day, and it was the last rapids that we were going to be on. And they looked at us and they said, we're going to let you swim these rapids. But you need to follow these instructions. So they told us, you're going to get on the back of the boat, and when we tell you when, you need to jump in. And then you need to focus your eyes on the boat at all times to know which way you're going. You need to avoid the left because there's a lot of rocks that are very dangerous. So you need to start kicking immediately when you get in the water to try to get to the right. And you need to make sure that when you're on the waves up and down, you breathe when you're on the down part. Because if you're on the upper part, another wave will crash in and you'll swallow a lot of water. So they gave us this instruction. We got to the back of the boat and we jumped into the freezing cold Colorado River. It was awesome. And immediately my mind started running to those instructions that they gave us. Okay, I got to find the boat. There it is. All right, I got to avoid the rocks. All right. I forgot about the breathing part and breathed when I was up in the air and swallowed a bunch of water. But it still was awesome. But here's the thing. These instructions did not get me through the rapid. I did not make it through the rapid because I followed the rules. I made it through the rapid because that was the way the water was flowing. Once I was in the water, there was nothing I can do but go forward through the rapid. It wasn't my skills that got me through the rapid. It wasn't me being good at keeping the instructions that got me through. I went through the rapid because that's the way the river went. Now, the instructions did let me enjoy the ride a little bit more. The instructions gave me a guideline to help me as I was flying through the rapid. And in some sense, this is what I think the Sermon on the Mount is all about for us. This sermon helps us who are in God's kingdom to know what life in the kingdom looks like. This sermon is a guideline to help us know how we are to live in this kingdom that we are in. And Jesus doesn't simply just tell us what to do. Rather, he invites us to see who we are in his kingdom. He describes who we should be. This sermon really gives us a picture of what it means to be one of Jesus' disciples. I'm about to read our passage, and we will see that Jesus goes up onto this mountain. He sits down, and it says he teaches his disciples. This sermon that we're going to look at in the next few months is for anyone in this room today that is a follower of Jesus. In my illustration, I was in a moving river, and that's what got me through the rapids. Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, those of us who are in Christ is what gets us through what we're supposed to do. This sermon describes who we are as we follow Jesus. But let me just say, if you are in this room today, and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're here for some reason, you're not sure why, and maybe you're not sure you believe in God, or in Jesus, or in turning to Jesus for forgiveness of sins. Maybe you're not sure what you believe about organized religion. Maybe you're not sure what you believe about the church. I just want to say that I'm glad that you're here. And I would encourage you that if you have the chance to come back as many times as you can during this sermon series. Because it would be good for you to hear these words. You see, Jesus does teach his disciples in these chapters. But we also read at the very end of the section that the crowds that were there were offered a chance to believe as well. Jesus didn't just address those who were his followers. And at the end of this sermon, we read that the crowds that heard Jesus teaching were amazed. And that is my hope today. Whether you are in faith or out of faith, whether you believe strongly today or you're barely holding on, my hope is that at the end of this series, we will be amazed at the teachings of Jesus. And we will be amazed that we get a privilege to be a follower of him and have life in his kingdom. So we're going to begin this sermon by looking at the very beginning of it in Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. And you can follow along in your order of worship or in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecute it for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kind of evil things against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word, and it is given to us for our good. Jesus begins this sermon with these amazing words of blessing. Blessed or happy are those who are in God's kingdom. This blessedness is a relationship to God where we feel and experience blessings from God himself. The negative feelings that all of us face at times, living in a broken, fallen world, the apathetic feelings that many of us experience and encounter in our lives, the, the absent feelings that we have, cannot take away the blessedness of those who exist in relationship with God. Jesus isn't denying pain and struggle, but he's affirming that even those in relationship with him can celebrate, even be happy in the midst of struggles and pain. And Jesus wants to see these blessings as he begins this sermon, calling us into action to live out his kingdom values. We're going to hear in the coming weeks, Jesus teaching some commands to us that are pretty difficult on how we deal with our enemies and those that we do not like, on what we do with our bodies, on how we handle our money. But before Jesus gives us commands to follow, He starts with blessing us. Jesus blesses before he commands. Jesus starts his sermon off with wonderful news. He describes a holistic portrait of someone who is living in the kingdom of God. He gives eight qualities of what every follower of Jesus ought to be. Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of how the kingdom makes an impact in the lives of those who respond to it. The sermon begins with a list of blessings and a privilege of being citizens of God's kingdom. And I gotta say, these qualities that are listed are not necessarily the qualities that I would have chosen as called blessings. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the mourners, blessed are the meek, blessed are the persecuted. This isn't necessarily the list that I often admire in others. I admire the confident, I admire the competent, I admire the powerful, I admire the popular. These are the things that I deeply want to be, these are the things I think I need. And if any of you are like me, we should be thankful for the upside down reality of these Beatitudes. We should be thankful for what God values and what God considers a blessing. And I love that these blessings and this sermon begins with these powerful words from Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who realize how unworthy they are. Blessed are those who know they are weak and they are broken and they need help. Blessed are those who see their spiritual need and their inability to fix it. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who don't think they have what it takes to receive it. We need to keep going back to this first blessing throughout this sermon series. Every command we hear, every challenge from Jesus we hear in the coming weeks will drive us back to this first beatitude because Jesus blesses the spiritual inadequate. None of us, none of us in this room have what it takes to do what we're called to do. None of us can live out God's kingdom values on our own. Listen, if you think you have what it takes to follow Jesus on your own, if you think your goodness, your gifts, your spiritual disciplines are enough, you need to go back to this first beatitude time and time again. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Many of us in this room need to repent of our pride. We need to repent how often we live like we are better than others. We must repent of the ways that we think we're more worthy of God's love than others around us. Some of us, we see certain sins as bad, especially those sins maybe we don't struggle with. Some of us see sins of people and we think, look how bad they are while we ignore the pride and the arrogance that is deep in our hearts. Many of us are indifferent to our sin, especially if our sin is accepted by others. It's so easy to condemn the sin out there. It is hard to acknowledge the sin in here. So it is good for us, it is a blessing for us to mourn to mourn the sin and brokenness in our lives, and to mourn the sin and brokenness in the world around us. Rather than see the world is broken and just ignore it, or judge it, or try to escape from it, we are called to mourn, to grieve that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. And here's the thing, according to Jesus' teaching here, We are told that when we are heartbroken and when we are grief-stricken, there is a blessing. We are blessed by the comfort of God in the midst of our pain. It doesn't mean life isn't always going to be easy. It doesn't mean that we won't hurt deeply in our lives. Many of you know this personally right now. I do believe, though, God does bless us in the midst of our mourning. And God commands us to mourn. When we look at the sin and the brokenness of the world around us and how we are often a part of the problem, it can either lead to despair or it can actually lead to humility. The more we see how inadequate and poor in spirit we are, the more we mourn our sin and brokenness, the more we are humble before God, we will grow in meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek are those who don't just try to claim all they can from others. The meek are those who are gentle and humble and who look out for the needs of others more than their own needs. The meek are so many of you in this room today, and I'm so thankful for that. I am truly humble and grateful by the example many of you show in how you care for others more than your own needs. How you look for others and how you can serve them rather than look to be served. I am convicted how easy it is for me to fake meekness while still desiring for you to give me what I want. I was reminded of a prayer this week that some think were written by Francis Assisi that maybe we should pray often in our lives. I know I need to be reminded of this prayer in my own struggles. The prayer goes, O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console." To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. It is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Brothers and sisters, I am thankful that so many of you look to love more than you look to be loved. You look to serve more than you look to be served. Many of you are meek in how you live out your lives. And it helps us out greatly as a church. In a world where the ambitious and the powerful are the ones who get what they want, in God's kingdom it is the meek and the unaggressive that get to inherit the earth. So how do we grow in meekness? How do we grow in caring for the needs of others? How do we fight against our ambitions that overtake us and our envy when we see others seem to have more than us? I think we must get hungry. We truly must have a deep hunger and thirst for God and his righteousness. We would truly be blessed if we were deeply hungry to live out God's will in our lives. We would be truly blessed if we thirsted after God and his kingdom values. We would be blessed if we were not just looking for our desires to be met, but rather God's righteousness and justice to be experienced in our world around us. So many of us, so many of us try to fill up our lives with satisfaction from our jobs, or from a relationship, or from our health, or from our reputation, or from pleasure and comfort. Many of us hunger after things in the world that we think will fill us up, and sometimes they do. But if you're honest, we never fully feel as satisfied as we thought we would be. Even when we get that promotion, even when we get that relationship, even when we get that acknowledgement from others, we still want more. May we hunger and thirst after God. May we hunger and thirst after his kingdom. And as we hunger and thirst after what he desires, it will lead us towards these beatitudes of action that are the second half of our passage today. The beatitudes can be broken up into two sections because you have the need that we have, that we are poor in spirit, that we are mourning our sin, that we are meek. And as we turn to hunger and thirst for righteousness, the next half is about ways that we can respond in kingdom values, respond to other people, including blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The more we realize how broken we are, the more we realize our need for mercy, the more we see our spiritual poverty and weakness, the more we will see the weakness and sin of others differently. I read somewhere this week that the first test to obedience to Jesus' ethical call is not that it makes one morally tougher, but rather it makes one mercifully softer. When we see God's call to obedience, it should not make us morally tougher. It should make us mercifully softer. I hope we at Covenant are known more for showing mercy than for being right. Being merciful, being one that forgives others, is not a condition of God's grace, but it's a consequence of receiving God's grace. Those of us who know and believe in God's grace freely offered to us are ones that offer mercy and grace to others. And as well, they are the ones that are pure in heart. Blessed are pure in heart, the center of our being, our heart and our mind and our will, all centered on God and God alone. And when we see God's mercy in our lives, it will help us turn towards others and show them love and mercy And we will begin to be agents of reconciliation and peace in our world. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Promoting God's peace, promoting God's shalom, the well-being in every direction and every relationship is what we should be promoting personally and as a community. This is why caring for things like the immigrants and the refugees in our city and helping world relief and supporting them is an important thing to do. It promotes peace to beautiful women and men that are in our country that need to be shown peace. Helping out at Breakthrough, volunteering this Friday at the block party on a neighborhood block that is often full of violence and we get to be agents of peace by loving and serving the beautiful people of East Garfield Park. It is a good thing that we can represent peace this Friday by just hanging out with the kids and serving them. Being involved in the different ministries and agencies and non-for-profits in our great city that many of you volunteer for is a good thing. Promoting God's peace, caring for what God cares for, is what we are called to do and be. And my hope and prayer is that we as a church will never be comfortable with where we're at. That we will continually ask God to convict us of those ways that we only care for ourselves and not for the needs of our world. That we ask God to show us those ways that he's calling us to promote his kingdom of justice and peace and righteousness in the city around us. That we don't just complain about the problems of our city, but we step up and say, what do you want us to do, Lord? Help us be agents of peace in our beautiful broken city. My hope and prayer is that we as a church will continue to know that we have the privilege to promote God's kingdom, not only individually but corporately as a church. Whenever I teach about the kingdom of God in our Covenant Life class, I like to say that the kingdom of God, that we get the chance as a church to be a sign of the kingdom of God, an instrument of the kingdom of God, and a foretaste of the kingdom of God. We get to be a sign of the kingdom of God. We get to point to the true king and say, this is who is on the throne. And we serve and worship him. We get to do this as a church. We get to be the instrument of God's kingdom. We are one of the primary means that God uses to promote his kingdom in the city and world. We get this privilege. You are an instrument that God uses for his kingdom. And we are a foretaste of the Kingdom of God, we give a little glimpse of the Kingdom in all its glory that one day will come to fruition. When we serve, when we volunteer, when we love our enemies, when we stand up for injustice, we are giving a little taste of what the Kingdom of God is all about. We get to do this as we follow our King. And when we do this, if we do this, we probably will face some sort of persecution. We will face some sort of being treated unfairly or looked upon as different. If we promote God's kingdom values over the values of this world, there will be times when we will be looked at as different and it might affect us. If we truly care for God's kingdom, there are times when we will experience opposition. Because, you know, our king itself, King Jesus, was persecuted and reviled and falsely accused of many things. Our King Jesus took on our sins on the cross and died a death he did not deserve. And he says to us, if you want to follow me, come take up your cross and follow me. Jesus calls us to live a kingdom life. And as we do this, we will be blessed even when we are persecuted for what we believe and what we value. Listen, this Sermon on the Mount is a beautiful picture of what life in the kingdom is all about. And let me encourage you. I know it is turning on to the summer months and we're going to be traveling a lot. and You're not going to be here during the whole sermon series. My encouragement to you is read Matthew 5 through 7 a few times this summer. Read it and ask God to show you in this sermon the ways that you should be living out His kingdom values in your day-to-day lives. And I truly believe if we read this sermon, allowing the Spirit to convict us, we will be overwhelmed at times with what we read. It will cause us to wonder, how are we ever going to live this way? It will humble us to know that the calling is too great, the cost is too hard, our weakness is too much. And when that happens to you, brothers and sisters, when you see that you can't do what you're called to do in the sermon, go back to the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Turn to God and acknowledge your weakness and let him help you in your day-to-day lives of following him as our king. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your kingdom. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the privilege we have to not just learn from him, but to live in him. And may we be reminded of that even as we celebrate this meal that you have set apart for us to know that our king Before he sat on the throne to reign, God on the cross to die. May we believe that and may it motivate us to respond in loving you and loving our neighbors as ourselves. In your holy name, amen.